0: Welcome to the Lexington Public Library's Tales from the Kentucky Room podcast, where we discuss everything Lexington and Fayette County history. I'm Miriam, and in each episode of this podcast, we will feature a guest that will share a piece of local history. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. For African American History Month, I wanted to highlight the story of Margaret Garner. I knew that Toni Morrison based her novel, Beloved, on the true story of a woman in slavery that had killed her daughter in order to prevent her from being returned into slavery after attempting an escape. However, I did not realize that that woman is from Kentucky. This is the tragic story of a Maplewood plantation slave named Margaret. I see the dark face that is going to smile at me. It is my dark face that is going to smile at me. The iron circles around our necks. She does not have sharp earrings in her ears or a round basket. She goes in the water with my face. Beloved by Toni Morrison, Chapter 22. The Pulitzer Award-winning novel is a heartbreaking tale of Setha and the ghost that haunts her home at 124 Bluestone Road the ghost of a brutal life in slavery, and the ghost of the daughter that she felt compelled to kill instead of having to return to that life. Toni Morrison was inspired to write this novel when she read about the story of a slave from northern Kentucky, Margaret Garner. Yes, Setha's story was based on a real-life woman that was a slave in Kenton County, Kentucky, who during the time of her escape was owned by Archibald K. Gaines. In January of 1856, Margaret and her husband Robert escaped with their four children, his parents and several other slaves. Crossing the Ohio River into Cincinnati, they had hoped to eventually reach Canada. Before we get into the full story of Garner's harrowing escape and capture, we need to understand the backstory of her childhood as a slave and how the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 came into play. Margaret sometimes referred to as Peggy, was born on June 4, 1834, on the Maplewood Plantation, Kenton County, in northern Kentucky. As a young slave girl, she would be taken to Cincinnati with her owner and his wife in order to help care for their children. The owner of the plantation at that time was a formidable man. John Pollard Gaines was a lawyer and served in the military during the Mexican-American War of 1847 to 1849. He was a member of the Whig Party and served in the House of Representatives for Kentucky. After his term in Congress ended, he was appointed as governor of the Oregon Territories by President Zachary Taylor. While Major John Pollard Gaines was away at war, his brother Abner controlled his business affairs here at home. In his book, Modern Medea, historian Stephen Weisenberger cites letters between Major John Gaines and Abner that tell of the desire of their older brother, James, wanting to purchase, quote, the Negro girl daughter of your Negro woman to prevent her leaving the country. At the time, the only slave mother-daughter pair on the Maplewood Plantation were a woman named Priscilla, or Silla, and Margaret. It seems Sylla had made some attempts at escaping with her daughter, but was unsuccessful. James wanted to separate the daughter from her mother in order to prevent another escape attempt. However, Abner advised against the sale, considering James's health and his frequent trips across the Ohio River, risking Margaret escaping into free territory. By 1849, Margaret began a relationship with a slave at a nearby plantation owned by James Marshall. His name was Robert Gardner, and their marriage was approved by both their masters. Major Gaines's appointment to the governorship of the Oregon Territories came into fruition by the end of 1849, and by early 1850, Margaret and Robert would have their first child, Thomas. It was a time of great uncertainty for the Maplewood slaves. Who would the Major sell his land to? Who would be their new owner? Eventually, the plantation was sold to Archibald K. Gaines, John's younger brother. The census records for the year of 1850 would count a total of 12 slaves at Maplewood, including Margaret Gardner and her five-month-old son, Thomas. Robert would be taken away from his young family frequently and for long periods of time. He was sold and lent out to various owners in nearby Covington. Meanwhile, Margaret would be required to wet-nurse the children of Archibald Gaines and his second wife, Elizabeth. Although her husband, Robert, would be away for long periods of time, Margaret's subsequent pregnancies would tend to align with the pregnancies of her master's wife, both getting pregnant within months of each other, according to historical records. Margaret would be forced to nurse the children of her master and wean her own. These circumstances beg the question, did Archibald Gaines, the only male in the household at the time, father Margaret's four younger children? Here, we must pause to assess the speculation of many historians. Given the relationship of master to slave, one would have to infer that the sexual interaction was not consensual. Through the accounts of the trial for Margaret and Robert's extradition, years later, after their escape, her surviving younger children were described as mulatto, of lighter skin tone, indicating that the paternity was of one black parent and one white parent, The coroner investigating the infanticide described her daughter Mary, the daughter that she would ultimately kill, as being almost white in the official records. Considering this period in the antebellum South, there was a common practice where during the gander months, or the last few months of a wife's pregnancy and a couple of months postpartum, the husband would seek sexual favors from other women, usually a slave woman if he happened to own one. Again. Historian Steve Weisenberger describes why the possibility of Archibald K. Gaines being the father of Margaret Garner's younger children, after Thomas, is highly probable. On page 44, he asks who fathered Margaret Garner's children. That Robert was responsible for her first, Thomas, seems clear. But Margaret's subsequent light mulatto children raised damning questions, and it seems hard to see how the child she was carrying at the time of her escape was Robert's, for he had been on a lengthy and distant hiring out until just a month before the Garners fled. These signs pointed to a white father for most of Margaret's children, as Colonel Gaines was the only adult white male on Maplewood throughout these years. Suspicion should quite naturally fall his way. It was a harsh northern Kentucky winter in 1855 when Robert had been returned to work on the land of James Marshall. Margaret is pregnant with her fifth child. Together, husband and wife had decided that it was time to attempt an escape to freedom. Why did they make this decision at this particular time? We don't know, but an opportunity arose for them to travel with a group of other slaves across the Ohio River, and they took it. Margaret's mother had family in Cincinnati that were able to purchase their freedom years prior and set up a house to help other slaves escape. Joseph and Elijah Kite were Margaret's cousins. On January 27, 1856, Margaret, Robert, Robert's parents, and their four children, Thomas, Sam, Scylla, and Mary, set out in the cold weather in hopes to make it into Canada through the Underground Railroad. They became fugitive slaves in the eyes of the federal law as soon as they crossed that state border. In some accounts, the gardeners had escaped with a group of nine other slaves from surrounding plantations in the area, but fearing capture, the two groups decided it would be better to split up once they crossed the icy river. They managed to make it to the home of Elijah and Joseph Kite in Cincinnati. It was a long and cold and rough escape through the night. While the children slept in the back room, the adults remained awake. Elijah had left the cabin to meet with Levi Coffin, who was considered to be a leading figure in the Underground Railroad. Unbeknownst to Elijah, as he was receiving instructions on the arrangements for the Garner's escape, their slave owners had managed to catch up with them and find out their hiding place. There are conflicting accounts about how Archibald Gaines and James Marshall's son Thomas found out so quickly of the escape and were able to find out where the Garners were hiding. There is talk of betrayal or a forced confession from Margaret's mother, Scylla, who was left behind at Maplewood Plantation. However it happened, by the time Elijah returned, U.S. Marshals along with the Gaines and Thomas Marshall were surrounding the home demanding the return of the fugitive slaves, warrant in hand. The Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 passed by Congress was part of the Compromise of 1850. The Act required that slaves be returned to their owners, even if they were in a free state. The Act also made the federal government responsible for finding, returning, and trying escaped slaves. The frightened family inside the home barred windows and doors. Robert was armed with a revolver. According to newspaper accounts and court trial records, Reference in the Mississippi Valley Historical Review by Julius Yannick, Robert had fired off several shots. During the chaos, Margaret had made an unbelievable decision to grab a butcher knife and proceed to slash her two-year-old daughter's throat until she died. She turned to her other children, wounding them, screaming and sobbing that she would rather kill every one of her children than have them return to slavery. The desperation of a mother that had endured slavery used and abused by her master, was displayed in that home. Elijah Kite's wife managed to wrest the knife from Margaret only after she managed to wound her other children. As the arresting party made its way inside and witnessed the scene, a crowd had gathered both outside and inside the Kite's house. Little Mary's body was retrieved, and the Garners were arrested and taken to the Cincinnati Federal Courthouse. Archibald Gaines had petitioned for the transport of his slaves, But James Marshall's son, Thomas, did not have power of attorney from his father, so the Certificate of Transport could not be issued and hearings were postponed. The delay allowed for allies of the Garners to prepare their case. There was a large anti-slavery movement in Cincinnati during this time. They were active and pursued any and all avenues to help fugitive slaves escape in the border state. Lawyers that had volunteered to represent the Garners argued that since the Garners had previously made several trips to Cincinnati, they were technically free persons at the time of their departure from Kentucky. A crowd started to gather outside the courthouse, some for the extradition of the Garners and some against. In the end, the sheriff of Hamilton County came in force through the crowd and transferred them to the county jail until the hearing on January 30th. There were two cases, one for each slave owner. James Marshall wanted the return of his three slaves. Simon Garner, Sr., Simon Robert Garner, Jr., and Mary Garner, Robert's mother. The other case was for the return of Archibald Gaines' slaves, Margaret Garner, and her children. The whole family would be represented by John Joliffe, a prominent anti-slavery attorney. At the hearing, Joliffe requested a postponement and argued that since Margaret had made several trips to Cincinnati, Ohio, a free land, she is considered to be a free woman. Her children were born after she made those trips and therefore born as free people. However, the opposing counsel argued that since she had returned to Kentucky willingly, her free status was no more. The trial would continue to be postponed. As Jola frantically built his case, anti-slavery groups would gather outside the courthouse and in meeting halls around the city. During this time, investigators began an inquest in the murder of Margaret's daughter and decided to bring up murder charges against Margaret and accessory to murder charges against Robert and his father. While devastating, it was a way to keep the Garners from being transported back to Kentucky and into slavery. As the hearing resumed, Joliffe requested that the officers place the family under arrest. The lawyers for Gaines made the argument that the Supreme Court of the United States had authority over states' courts, citing the Fugitive Slave Act. The trial would last for a month, with both sides making arguments and counterarguments. On February 26, 1856, the Garners would be returned to their slave owners. Margaret's trial would not be over, however. Her lawyer, John Joliffe, was hard at work convincing Governor Chase of Ohio to request the return of Margaret Garner in order to stand trial. Archibald Gaines was able to circumvent the warrant by sending Margaret off to several plantations belonging to relatives in the Deep South. James Marshall would sell Robert Garner to Archibald Gaines. Eventually, he would sell the family to his brother, Benjamin, living in Arkansas, in March of 1856, the steamboat that the gardeners were being transported down the Mississippi River collided with another boat and began to sink. Margaret and her daughter were thrown overboard. Her daughter, Scylla, would not survive. After the tragedy, the pregnant Margaret, Robert, and the rest of the family would continue their trip to Arkansas. Over the next few weeks, Archibald Gaines and Governor Chase would play political games, using Margaret as a pawn to save face. Governor Chase was criticized by anti-slavery activists for compromising Ohio's sovereignty. Gaines, two weeks after her arrival in Arkansas, would return Margaret Garner to the jail cell in Hamilton County without informing the commissioner, just so he can say that he did abide by the governor's request, and then take her back to Kentucky, claiming that no one came to serve the warrant against Margaret. On April 17, 1856, Margaret would join Robert back in Arkansas where she learned that Benjamin Gaines had transferred ownership to Abner Gaines, who was on his way to transport them to New Orleans. Through interviews 14 years later with a Cincinnati reporter, Robert recalled that the family would be hired out frequently to friends of Abner Gaines. It was a tough life for Margaret and Robert and his parents. The next traces of the family finds them being sold to Judge Dewitt Clinton Bonham of Tennessee on his Willow Grove plantation. There, the Garners would live a life of working the fields of cotton. In late 1857, Margaret would catch scarlet fever. She would suffer for weeks before succumbing to her death. Robert recalls to the Cincinnati Reporter post Civil War in 1870 that she had implored him not to remarry in slavery. Her plea is a testament to the bleak life of a family living in slavery, not free to love and live as they want. And in the words of Setha, freeing yourself was one thing, claiming ownership of that freed self was another. For further reading about the life of Margaret Garner, check out Modern Medea, a family story of slavery and child murder from the Old South by Steven Weisenberger. Thanks for listening to Tales from the Kentucky Room, a podcast brought to you by the Central Library's Kentucky Room staff at the Lexington Public Library. If you enjoyed listening, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you have any questions about local history or genealogy research, you can visit us in the Kentucky Room to use our collection and newspaper microfilm. Or you can email us at elibrarian at lexpublib.org. That's elibrarian at lexpublib.org. I'm Miriam, and we'll be back with another trip down Lexington's memory lane.